part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Spoiler alert, this podcast is covering the most recently released episodes of The Crown on Netflix. If you haven't seen them yet, this podcast may spoil you. You've been warned. We started off trying to do like five episodes at one time. We ended up barely being able to keep up with one episode at a time. Sometimes we get two in, like we're trying to today. Season 6, Episode 9, Hope Street, written by Jonathan Williams, Wilson pardon me, and Peter Morgan, directed by Eric Richter-Strand, which synopsis says, Reeling from the loss and wary of her golden jubilee, the Queen bonds with William, who finds his footing between normality and life in the royal limelight. And Season 6, Episode 10, the series finale, folks, Sleep, Deary, Sleep which is what I plan on doing as soon as this podcast is over. Written by the showrunner Peter Morgan, directed by Stephen Daltrey. And that synopsis is, The Queen gives Charles a green light to wed Camilla. Tasked with planning her own funeral ahead of her 80th birthday, she faces an existential crisis. Wow. And what that crisis is, is the fact that we aren't going to have any more episodes of The Crown left. Welcome to Podcast A Little Bit, by the way. My name is Matt, and I, just like William, am always showing up late to celebrations that I was never actually invited to in the first place, or was uninvited from. And I am joined, as usual, by someone who's worse than Mrs. Bennett. It's Bubba. Matt, this is the end. We've been on a journey across these six seasons, and I can't wait to discuss it with you as well as get great feedback from our listeners. We will have some direct feedback from one of our listeners who's also a contributor to the podcast. He submitted feedback just a little while back. He is our guest co-host for both of these episodes. And just like a diplomatic trip to Texas, he's always productive and convivial. Welcome, Mr. Bill Cava. Thank you, Matt. How are you? I am good. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, let's get right into rating these episodes, shall we? Let's rate Season 6, Episode 9. Bubba, I would love to hear your rating, if I could. All right. Well, I'm going to give this 8 double H's out of 10. Wait, double H's? That's right. I wrote double H's like several hours ago, and I don't remember what it stood for. So I'll just say that David, in The Crown, what do we know about royal men? They get obsessed with women. And sometimes it's they get obsessed with one woman, and they can only think about this one woman ever. So we had David abdicating the throne, Charles, now William. It's one obsession per lifetime. If they're not with the woman they want, They'll quit school, they'll get divorced, they'll abdicate the throne. These guys are obsessed. Eight out of ten, it did make me like Prince William a bit more than the previous episodes did, but still, it's not the highest high. I have. I, it's tough to get a handle on William outside of he's just a normal bloke who sometimes has to swallow really what he wants to say, because when you're going to be the future king, you have to you know, always speak with caution. So eight out of 10, that's for me. And Matt is muted. So I'll just continue to talk more. Okay. I'll try to remember what the double H was for. 
How could it have been? Have you remembered yet? No, no, no. But I'm sure I'm sure it'll come to me before this see, before this great show ends. That could be another contest. Maybe. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Bill, since you had to just go and be smart, why don't you give us your smart rating for this episode? I'm in line with Bubba. I gave it eight double S's out of ten. Double S's? That's uh, squatting spelunkers. You really got to watch when you walk around in those caves. Let me tell you. That's what I found out today. <laughs> so, <laughs> Alfayette gave a very angry speech on those uh, on those steps. Um, took him 40 years to finally get a spine, I guess, against the Royals. And uh, he is leaving London. You know, I also found a lot of doubting in this episode. I saw, like, Kate and William, like, they didn't realize they liked each other. So they got kind of... Their insecurities were showing a little bit. And then the queen, of course, she was very doubtful about her standing with the population there, with her subjects. But then as we see, when she comes out on that balcony, she uh, she had her Sally Field moment. She was like, oh, you do like me. So, <laughs> I like the episode. Like I said, it kind of like really cleared the deck for the finale. Like we got everybody got their things resolved and uh, we're going on to the finale after this. Excellent. Well, I guess I, as usual, rate things higher than everybody else does. I gave this 9 out of 10 what I like to call double C's. Double C's? Double C's stands for Couched Commentaries. Uh, I did like the way that the William and Kate story kind of panned out. Uh, And they mostly did justice to Elizabeth losing her mother. It seemed to me as big a part of the show as she should have been, that we should have paid a little bit more time with her. I guess we did in the Margaret episode a little bit, but I would have liked to have seen a little more of the Queen Mother at the end of this series, uh, rather than just sending her off, which is kind of a depressing kind of thing. (laughs) But I think you couple this loss with the loss of Margaret, and I think that you do get some aspects of why the drama in the finale happens. I feel like that there is carryover um, to where Elizabeth is now facing her own mortality, having lost everybody from her own generation, aside from Philip. And she's starting to think about, what do I want the rest of my life to be? But we'll talk about that when we get into our rating of Season 6, Episode 10. Which, by the way, Bill, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you thought of that episode and how you rated it. Episode 10, I gave it a, well, a 9.9 double Bs. Double Bs? Breakfast bagpipes every morning. (laughs) It's part of a complete breakfast, yes. Exactly. But I thought it was perfect, you know. I was really disappointed when I read originally that they were going to end the series in 2005. And I was like, I really felt it really needed to end with Elizabeth's death, to be honest. But as I'm watching the episode, it kind of brilliantly made it like her death. I mean, it started out with planning of the funeral, Operation London Bridge. You saw the model of the, the actual processional that you saw on the day of the funeral. Uh, they ended up in the chapel where her funeral was, where her, uh, her prayer service was. We saw the casket with the scepter and the orb that I was waiting to fall off the carriage to that whole procession. Never did. <laughs> um, and the bagpiper was playing Sleep Theory Sleep, just like the actual 
ceremony. Um, so it, it felt like it ended with her death. So and actually, and then when her younger selves came out, they were dressed in black, which is, you know, mourning. And she had white on, which kind of like she was at peace, basically at peace with her, her what she her decisions were, especially the decision to let Charles marry, not to abdicate the throne. Um, so she was at peace. And then she kind of walked out the back door of the church and opened those church doors into a backlit outside. And that was it. And yeah. like another show I remember. <laughs> Very much like another show that I remember. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I didn't mind that at all. I, I know that some people still have hostile feelings towards Lost in the way that right. it ended. But yeah. I think the ending itself of Lost isn't so much what they have a problem with. It's, it was the buildup, too. Uh, it was that season six. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah. yeah. Uh, th maybe you have to end a series in season six by going through, you know, opening a, a door <laughs> filled with light. Maybe that's what Apparently. happened. Apparently. Uh, but then again, uh, if you think about it, what could what would they have covered between 2005 and and her death? Yeah. It would have been really, well, it would have been, what, tw 20 years of, you know, Harry and Meghan? So, yeah. It really was kind of a good way to go. I agree. I agree. Bubba, do you agree? How did you feel about the end of this series? Well, in some ways, I guess I'm going to counter what Bill said and yet at the same time agree with Bill. First of all, let me get to my rating, and that is Bill went 9.9 .9 out of 10. I mean, that is ridiculously high. That is somebody who has turned off his critical thinking and just going with what the show gives it. So I'm going to also turn off my critical thinking, and I'm going 10 double C's out of 10. Wow, Double C's? Ten? Ten of them? Ten double C's? Yeah, that's church chatty Cathy's. When the queen is like, hey, I'm going to allow my son to marry, and these chatty Cathy, you know, reverends, priests, are like, well, maybe if he talks about how he's, you know, filled with wickedness, I was like, oh, my God, that should have done it. Like, I honestly think if this character, Queen Elizabeth, had had done this, you know, 50 years earlier with her sister and said, well, yeah, I want my sister to be able to marry this divorce guy. And she had heard this ridiculousness from these priests. She might have, you know, turned she might have had turned out a bit differently, at least this character on the show. I loved it. I thought it was a fitting end. I thought that. Bill was just now asking, well, what would happen if we if the series went past 2005? And as someone who's not a royal watcher, one of my, you know, what I would call favorite moments in real life from the Queen was her opening of the Olympics in London, her doing that hilarious skit with Daniel Craig as James Bond, and the fact that here the Queen, the one, the Queen who we always have this image of, was able to have a little fun and have some laughs. That's like one of my favorite moments ever through history as an American who hasn't really been paying attention. And so I would have enjoyed something like that. But this episode gave it to me with her rather, you know, wonderful wedding toast. I wish when I go to weddings, I would give toasts and speeches this well. She was great. She was funny. Mm -hmm. It always showed the personality that was, you know, sometimes because of the royal position and because of just the nature of the of her situation she has to hide. So I thought that was great 
to release. You almost see that kind of biting wit from her speech. You've seen it in her children, and now you're beginning to see it in her grandchildren, like, oh boy, I'm sure we're going to talk about him, Prince Harry. So I thought this was a perfect end, a perfect way to make this six-season voyage uh, clear and have a wonderful arc. I loved it. 10 out of 10. Excellent. Well, I was hoping to beat your rating, Bubba, but I can't because you're at the very top. So I will just have to also give it 10 out of 10, what I like to call double Fs. Double Fs? Yeah, that stands for Flawless Finales. Ooh. I mean, this is the way you end a series, guys. I mean, the story itself, getting there is still kind of messy, but in the end, your hero, you know, she makes all the right decisions uh, in all of the incarnations at the end. And I thought that over over these two episodes especially, uh, I thought Imelda Staunton's acting was incredible although it's been the whole season it's just that you really saw it in these moments as you were paying attention to the end i loved the appearances of of claire and olivia just showing up and arguing one side or the other of abdication and something that i think has been an issue and bubba we'll probably talk about this later but uh peter morgan recently described the crown as not being about the monarchy or even about the queen, but rather being just a family story. And that's what this finale was. It was a wedding. It was a kid in trouble. It was a woman deciding her place in the world after so many years. Um, It was an incredible family story, and I loved every bit of it. I even forgave one major historical inaccuracy that was in this wow that's big of you yeah do you even want to know what that historical inaccuracy is no oh wait well i guess the (laughs) listeners will want to know so okay matt let's hear it here it is since you set it up like that here it is and it regards harry harry never had abs like that nor did he ever have pecs i mean i've done the research he never ever had abs like that And what really bothers me the most is this actor obviously didn't devote himself enough to the role. I mean, would it have killed him? I know I said you shouldn't do this last episode, but would it have killed him to eat just a few French fries before filming? Would it have killed him to stay out of the gym for a couple months before filming? Just to make himself not look so darn ripped, because Harry was never that ripped. And by golly, looking at him like that, getting all upset about the papers in the toilet. I just thought to myself, that's not Harry. And my God, I've got to change my health habits immediately. Yeah, you got to try the wacky backy. That's what the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me also say, Matt, that, you know, before I joked that I didn't want to know, now I want to go back in time and be serious. Yeah, I didn't want to know about this historical inaccuracy. So, uh... Okay. <laughs> So those are our ratings, folks. Those are our ratings, our final ratings that we will ever give for this series. But we still want to know what yours were. We're still going to be around. You can always find the videos up at the Double P Media YouTube. And you can find them. uh, You can find my formerly known as Twitter spot at LittleBitPod. You can find Double P Media at the word double the letters PHQ, all across all social medias, actually, even Facebook, facebook.com 
slash the word double, the letters PHQ. You can also find the videos and comment on those. Why don't you hit that subscribe button for the channel while you're there? Because Bubba has lots of great things coming down the pike in 2024. And uh, we're going to pressure him into doing more podcasts than he's ever wanted to do in 2024. He'll find the shows. He'll give you interesting stuff. You find the YouTube by going to youtube.com slash at the word double, the letter P, the word media. Speaking of people participating in things around here, I had a contest, Bubba. You know that I had a contest. Yes. The video, before I took it down on January okay. 1st, just to ensure that it wasn't tainted with people who chimed in late, despite sure. my offering to. When I took this video down, I had 9,973 views. Wow. You would think that out of all of those views, we would have gotten what? At least 10 entrants? Guess how many we got? Well, I know we have one, so I'm going to say zero. We have one entrance. Oh, wow. Thank God somebody won. Wow. Somebody won a $100 gift certificate from Amazon. Wow. And that person is ZephyrCat7. All mods come. Oh, wow. A great is our fan. winner. A great listener. We love ZephyrCat. Been very faithful to this podcast in particular, and we really appreciate uh, the support that they have shown us. So here's what you need to do, all mods cons. You need to send me an email, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S-A-U-D-I-O-B-L-O-G at gmail.com saying, hey, I'm the person you need to send this to, and then we will discuss how I will get your card to you electronically after that. But please contact me via email. It's the only way that you can claim your prize. I can't just, I can't be able to award it to you just because you responded on a YouTube comment. Send the email to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, and I will get you your $100 gift card from Amazon. Now, this person, as I said, only guessed one of the two guesses that they submitted correctly. Hey. But, but. they did it, and yes. they won. Hell the yeah. The thing that I keep hearing, especially from you know, <clears throat> Priscilla, <clears throat> is the fact that my contests are too hard, that nobody can get it. Well, somebody got it. Somebody won. There you go. Priscilla. Mm -hmm. But what I would like to do is to see... If Bubba and Bill could have beat ZephyrCat7. All right, yes. I love competition. I'm going to play these sounds, Bubba, and you're going to guess them, and then Bill's going to guess after you, okay? So here's the first sound. That Matt, I think, I think, yeah, but maybe you should set this up even a bit better. You're saying guess the sound. It's We're trying to guess a word that you're mispronouncing, correct? It is my attempt to pronounce these words. Okay. And I yes. will tell you how many syllables they are before. Okay. Because it's not, the, my wording doesn't always match up the number of syllables. So, Bubba, the first sound that you hear is me trying to say something that is three syllables. Sure. Okay. What does this sound like to you? Blas blas I assume you're trying to say blasphemy. 
Okay. That's your final answer? I'll play Blas- Blas- Blasphemy is your guess, Bubba? Yeah, sorry. Obviously, that's my guess. Okay. Uh, Bill. Blas- Blas- mm. What does mm. that sound like to you? Play that one more time. Blas- Blas- in, in the last. In the last. Bill, that is absolutely correct. Oh, that is good. That is good. See, here's the thing you don't understand, Bubba. Bill listened to me long before I ever knew who you were. Bill listened to me back in my Keys to Lost days. He knows how I screw up. He (laughs) knows my mispronunciations. Let's try the second one. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't get any credit for... Try giving you credit and assuming it was like a tricky word like blasphemy instead of you just completely screwing up easy words? I screw up easy words all the time. You know this. You've been recording with me for nearly 10 years. Yeah, but I haven't been listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, Matt, can I hold on? And I know this is a special wheel. You've got a very fancy wheel for this final two episodes of The Ground Ever. But I think it'd be great to have Bill talk about his thoughts on the show up to this point. Why did he start watching? What has been his favorite things? People have been listening to us talk forever, but we got this great guest, Bill. Bill, what encouraged you to watch The Crown? And what have been your kind of favorite moments so far before we get to these final two? Well, I was always into the royal family, kind of, you know, back in like, more like in the 80s, you know, at the... Princess Diana came along and the whole wedding was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Um, things all stopped here. Everybody watched. And I'm a sucker for period pieces. I mean, I love first season, you know, back, you know, early 20th century with Winston Churchill and all the old outfits. And and I watched and it just it amazed me how it was so stream, you know, streamlessly went along. And all of a sudden you're in, you know, you're in the 80s, you're in. <laughs> you know, Mark Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. And you're like, whoa, you know, how'd that happen? You know, and it just like <laughs> kept moving along. And yeah, look, I felt like I was, you know, watching history that I that I watched growing up. So I kind of knew it, all the characters, I guess, starting season five. And I did. It's funny because, I mean, Dominic West, that's always a point of contention of, you know, he just looks he looks nothing like Charles, you know, so. And I kind of made that point beginning of season five. I was like, I'm watching, you know, Dolores Umbridge and, uh, you know. uh, (laughs) And McNulty, right. And McNulty from uh, The Wire. I'm like, it's throwing me off a bit. But it actually grew on me. I mean, she was amazing. By the end, she was amazing. Correct. And uh, even Dominic West. I mean, if you look at pictures from their wedding, Camilla's wedding, him and Camilla, it kind of, it works. It, It works. You know, I always wondered, did they try like prosthetic ears? Maybe, <laughs> you know, something. Right. Of course. They didn't go that route. But uh, but I thought his mannerisms, I thought the way he talked, the way his mouth moved, uh, his inflection speech was was just spot on. OK. But no, yeah. that's good. That's good. I, I I think a lot of people are like you in that it has been like watching history and, fa- and the fascination we have with history. So I 100% agree. Okay, so yeah. apologize I cut off the wheel there for a map, but I just thought, you know, let's level set with this person who only rated the last episode 9.9. You know, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> Nothing gets a 10. Nothing gets a 10. Right? <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, actually, I'm going to interrupt myself, and I'm going to oh, give sure. you the 65-second recap of Season 6, Episode 9. William hears from a friend that Kate Middleton is available again, and after a high-catching fashion show, they finally kiss, but their moment together is interrupted by Operation Taybridge. The Queen Mother has died, despite her daughter, the Queen, begging her not to go yet due to the Jubilee. During the Queen Mother's funeral, Harry and William have words, but quickly make amends. Mumu has begun a new quest in his grief over his son, finding fault with the royals for everything that happened. He goes to the press and initiates the Paget investigation, but the investigation proves most of Mumu's claims false, and in despair, he lashes out to the press against the country and its monarchy. The Queen has a conversation with William about the ones versus the twos, and the troubles of duty and having a significant other, but tells William that some of her best times were before she became Queen, and tells him to stay away from the Jubilee, despite the fact that his popularity might help. William actually goes to meet Kate's parents. But then, as the Queen gives her speech, realizes that he has a duty to be there as well. He races back to Buckingham Palace just in time to join the rest of the royal family as the Queen is adored by throngs despite her fears. And here is your recap for Season 6, Episode 10. As Prince Philip encourages his wife to plan her funeral, Prince Charles encourages his mother to bless his marriage. She takes both accounts under advisement, and in the latter, turns to the heads of church, where details and atonements are discussed and agreed upon. In that matter, she next turns to William and Harry to get their permission. William is willing, Harry not so much, which causes tension between the two, and furthers the tension between fathers and sons. And speaking of tension, Elizabeth starts to remember her life, the life that she had before, and while planning her funeral, also begins to plan her abdication. Visited by the ghosts of Queen's past, she examines the situation thoroughly from both sides. And after Charles and Camilla's civil ceremony, followed by a religious penance, her toast, about which many have speculated what that might entail, is gracious to both her son and to Camilla. In the final scene, Philip has figured it all out, and we see the Queen's vision of what her funeral will be, complete with her younger self, saluting her for sticking to her duty until the end. So what we like to do, Bill, is we like to spin a tiny little wheel of topics from both of the episodes, episodes 9 and 10 of this show, and we spin it, and wherever it lands, that's what we talk about. So I'm going to give the wheel a spin. The problem is, is that the wheel is tiny and the writing is very small. And it's been well known that my eyes can never see exactly what's on the wheel. So we'll give the wheel a spin and you will have to tell me what topic it comes up on mm -hmm. when it lands. Okay? Sure. Oh, Harry. Talk about Harry. Let's all oh, talk man. about Harry. Man, we are going to get into it because, Matt, <laughs> you have some very strong feelings about yes. Harry. So, Matt, when the wheel lands here, you have to go first. What were your thoughts in this episode nine about our favorite boy, Harry? Well, I, I mean, he's just being the same Harry that we've seen done the entire series, right? I mean, it's not the Nazi thing doesn't happen in, until episode 10. Correct. Uh, here he's just being a, a regular old Harry, 
Uh, right. The same kind of immature acting, uh, even for his age, I believe. Um, and I, once again, as I did in last week's episode, I just question, does the show like Harry very much? Uh, because they only show the bad sides. Uh, even in back in episode seven, when he was giving William trouble about uni and everything else, I just I just feel like that rather than explaining why he is so acting this way, they're just showing the actions, which I guess from an objective point of view is fine because you only see what people are on happening to them on the outside. But I would have liked to have spent a little more time with Harry in these last five episodes, as long as they were going to feature him so much, doing something other than just being a scoundrel. I mean, Bill, did it come across that way to you, or am I just crazy? Absolutely. And I, I started to question whether this was done purposely by the creators. Did they have some kind of bias against Harry? Because it was so blatant that he was, he was just... A jerk all the time and he was very i mean you could see there were scenes where the queen wouldn't even look at him you know going into episode 10 wouldn't even acknowledge his opinion on whether his father should get married she just kept looking at william the whole time so i'm wondering if there was some kind of bias in the writing and same goes for camilla too because i always thought camilla was a little villainous and she came off as a you know roses i mean Pretty much. 100%. I definitely agree with, with you there, Bill. Yeah. This is, I said it on a previous podcast, like if Camilla could have had this series come out 20, 30 years ago, you know, mm -hmm. the whole world would look at her differently as this saint who's kind of put up with so much, including from her, from her boyfriend, future husband, Charles. And so I 100% mm -hmm. agree with that. I guess the thing that that I hear you guys and I, I don't dismiss your thoughts because obviously, you know, I I, this, I can understand how someone would take it. But I've always just seen that the show is never really wants to focus on Harry. It's almost like and this is the way I thought. And admittedly, this is tying a bit into episode 10. To me, it's felt like the show needs to address Harry, it's not going to get up to the, you know, it's not going to get up to Megan and all the other things. And so it's like the the show with a secondary character is trying to set up where we're going to see this, this character based on a real person in 10 years. So they're doing a shorthand of it, of like, okay, this is how we're going to get to the scenario. You know, this is how the world gets to the Harry we, you know, in 2023. But I've always thought once again, He's not the focus on any of these episodes. He's not even on the focus in this episode where, as as we talk about, somebody is pointing out that they believe his mother was murdered by his, by his family's, his father's family. So he's never really gets the focus. This was an episode that, to me, really allowed me to connect with William more. And it felt like that was the episode, of, the, sorry, the focus of the episode. And so when Harry does you know, come off as rather one note. To me, it's just a function of he's, you know, he's the side character who we do want to kind of give a bit of information on because he's such a spotlight person in 2023, but we're not really spending uh, show real estate, you know, show time on Harry because we're not talking about him. We're talking about the future person who's going to wear the crown. I can see that, Bubba. I, and I completely get that. 
Um, and that was another thing that struck me was how much this whole uh, Operation Paget was focused on the way that it made William feel, and very little was paid attention to how it made Harry feel. Um, you see him when they get the report. You see him being, you know, quite animated about it when he's reading it and everything. But it it does feel like, uh, like you said, it's just that if you're gonna spend so little time with the guy, why does it have to be all of the bad things? Is it just because those are the things that stick out? Once again, to me, it feels like you, you call them bad things. I, I don't judge him so harshly. I judge him as, you know, somebody who's the age that he's supposed to be. I assume once again, he's about 16 years old. A 16 year old teen does in almost cliche way can have some natural rebellion, natural anti-authority. You know, they're, they're fighting against themselves as much as anything. So I, I wouldn't say that it's that he's bad. It's just, once again, he's not the focus. This show, <laughs> the show is not on him. Mm-hmm. And in those earlier, in those earlier seasons, there weren't all the characters, you know, in the earlier th- seasons, it really did feel like Elizabeth, her husband, Philip and Margaret, like there were almost three characters yeah. in the show. Like that's what the earlier seasons felt like. And because it felt like that, yes, there was Churchill. Yes, there were other characters, but because it felt like that, it could spend a lot of time with Margaret. Now in season six, it's like there's the queen and Philip and there's still Margaret. And now there's Charles and there's also Charles's uh, wife and future wife. And now there's the sons. And so that's how I interpret it. And so I, I don't, I guess, feel as strongly about it as you guys do, even though I, I a hundred percent could see how if all of this, if this one, if this one note character is one note about, Hey, I'm going to rebel. I'm going to be snarky. I'm going to do all the things that, you know, a teenage boy does. Yeah. Okay. I did make the point too, about, the number two, like literally falling off the ledge most of the time, you know, being number two. Yep. Yeah, but at the same time, they don't focus on why Harry does it. Instead, they just focus about how William feels about it when William tells him off about how he's being irresponsible and, and things like that. Well, again, isn't he the focus? It it would almost be like you'd be, you know, I'm trying to think of a better uh, uh, correlation to this. I'm just saying they should have. They should have given him more real estate if they were going to give him things to give everybody else real estate about. Hmm. I would say you're like, boy, we're spending a whole lot of time about how Luke Skywalker feels about having to stay on the farm another year and not enough to Uncle Owen's thoughts about how he, you know, needs somebody to help him for just one more season. (laughs) Who cares about Uncle Owen? This story's about Luke. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. Hey, he became quite important. He became quite important he in did. the prequels and in the uh, and in the Obi Wan series. Don't you give me that? Okay. He got his time. Will Harry <laughs> ever get his time? No. <laughs> Not in this show. Yeah, that's sadly true. <laughs> then I landing on. I guess the costume party was kind of odd. Um, Here we was, go. Oh boy. Kind of, I mean, it was. I got a kick out of some of it. I mean, the guy who dressed up as the queen and and the actual song he sang, I want to break free. was like, oh, this is about, you know, yeah. abdicating, I guess. huh? So, I mean, talk uh, about crazy. We have all, you know, I'm going to make an assumption. And you know what happens when you make an assumption? You know, you make a fool out of you and no one else. But have you ever been to a party a costume party where somebody dresses up as your grandmother. You know, that just doesn't happen to other people. Right, in yeah. 
incredible. Yeah. And they had William dressed as the king of the jungle, I guess, the lion. Yes. They made a comment about that. Right, the Lion um, King. And then let's get to, you know, I, I don't want this to be a therapy session, but I think, mm-hmm. once again, I think it's kind of natural for teenagers to rebel and do wacky, crazy things. But this is a bridge too far. I mean, what oh, was he thinking? Why? Oh, my I don't, Lord. I don't, the, the, what's the why? That's what right. I don't get. <laughs> right. It wasn't it about colonialism? How did, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. my Lord. And it was Matt, like a defend week, your character. Defend your character. A week before Holocaust Memorial Week or something. Oh, to boot. yes. Oh my goodness uh, gracious. There's really no way to defend this. I will say that in uh, his biography, in real life, Harry says that William and Kate pushed him into it. Um, you know what? I, this is a, this is what? if every I, this is what your mom tells you when like if everybody walks off the end of the pier, are you going to walk off <laughs> the end of the pier? That's why that's mom true. says that because that, it, that's true. And the show didn't really portray it so much like that. They were right. They didn't, I didn't they, see a disapproval, but I didn't really right. get. Uh, I didn't get a strong approval or anybody pushing him to do it either. So uh, it was good to leave it kind of neutral like that and just let the event be the event. Very poor decision, Harry. Oh my God, character or real life or otherwise. Jeez, just don't do that. The one bright spot that came out of that, though, I loved Philip's joke. At, you know, uh, Harry was paying his dues. He was shoveling poop out of pig's Yes. Styles. Oh, my um, gosh. But I did love when he told Elizabeth that he had called the shop owner to give him a piece of his mind. <laughs> and that was, they would have never worn the swastika in the African version of the of that unit right he's that's why you like prince philip so much you've been complaining about you know historical accuracy this whole time matt now he is too there it all makes sense (laughs) that's why he's my favorite character um but i did you know at least maybe that was maybe that was a real life signal to harry it's like look we're not really taking this too seriously we don't want to slam you any more than we already have for five episodes in a row Let's go to Bill and Bill. The good news is, as a parent, your child will never reach this low. I mean, this, this oh is impossibly <laughs> low. But could you? I mean, like, what's the what's the toughest punishment you've ever had to hand out? Certainly, shoveling pig stuff no, is pretty not bring rough. Bill's personal life. No, I know. I'm sorry. Me. I'm trying to stay wide. <laughs> stay wide, but I mean. No, sometimes you just gotta you shake your head and you go, "What? What are you doing? What are you thinking?" Yeah. You know? And that's pretty much, you know, I mean, yeah. But like you said, we were all at that age at one time. So, but you still have to address it and kind of like, but that's just, that's bizarre. Can I throw in as a caveat, the lovely humor that came out of the fact that Tony Blair came to the queen and said, yeah, a little bit of contrition and blah, 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 and everything will be okay. And she says to him, is that what you're going to do regarding the Iraq war? Oh, zing. (laughs) The queen had been watching Big Brother Zingbot there. She's like, oh, let me get in on this one. Hilarious. Oh, that was funny, man. I laughed my butt off on that one. Now, I don't remember the history. Was was Tony Blair booted or did he get uh, a... you know, get to stay in. Uh, I don't know at that time. I, yeah, I know I that he was voted. He was very unpopular until he oh, was yeah. voted out. But I yeah, don't know. Yeah. I don't know when he was voted out. 
Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I think it was just a natural the vote, whatever you know, whatever the next election was. Still a great zinger. Ice cold, baby. <laughs> and oh, I can read these letters. Big, big letters. Moo moo. Now, oh boy, oh Baba, boy. I, I want to play something for you. Okay. This was you and I reviewing the end of part one mm-hmm. of season six. Yep. And this is what we said. Again, I will say, Salim Daw is an incredible actor, and doubt we're going to hear too much more from Mumu. Uh, it would seem just ridiculously to the side and not much point. Yeah, to it feels doing like it. they've got so much ground to cover. And this is coming from myself, who doesn't really know much of the history of anything. I would think they'd have to, enough ground to cover where, you know, this focusing, giving show real estate to Moo just seems unlikely. Yeah, to me too. Bubba, we were so wrong. We were. I mean, we couldn't have been any more wrong. Uh I did not expect this. I believe you'll find in the history notes that the the Paget report was not made public until like the end of 2005 or the beginning of 2006 or maybe the end of 2006. I can't remember exactly now. But uh I just thought that that was it. I thought, "Oh, let's give Salim Daw some nice emotional stuff to work with at the end of part 1." But no. We had to get the other part that I did mention in uh, in our review of episode four about him basically getting this whole pageant operation started and this whole investigation that ends up dragging Harry and William, of course, who's the focus, uh, through yet another like tumultuous bag of crap, man. And I don't understand... I, I mean, I get why they did this, and I think it couples really well with him bad-mouthing the monarchy at the same time that the Queen is doing her jubilee, which I don't think actually lined up in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but nonetheless, it makes it makes that whole balcony thing that much more dramatic at the end. I think a lot less of Moo the character than I did at the end of episode four. Bill, how about you? Uh, well, this is a result of the conversation he had with, uh, you know, Ghost Doty. I mean, this was this was him finally realizing that I don't need these people. You know, I can go back home and be, you know, a hero back home. So I have nothing to lose by, you know, calling it out after, you know, 40 years of, you know, licking their boots. And, uh, you know, he's about had it. So um, this was... Uh, you know, I'm sure he spent millions of dollars. I mean, he had that binder that he was ripping up. I'm sure there was a lot of investigation done on his part. Uh, but it was it was a three-year investigation, I think I read. So it was, a, it was a pretty big deal. It was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so much of it was just based on falsified information. At the time, I'm not sure that they had the technology to do the... the uh, the type of blood work that a later biography saying, you know, there's no possible way that Diana was pregnant or not. And Bubba and I even speculated about the fact that might that have been in, in a way for uh, Dodie to get the attention of Moo to mm-hmm. say something like that. Um, just 
And again, I'm conflating character and, and reality, but I mean, if we look at it from the story standpoint, even though we didn't see it on screen, why would Mumu ever have that notion that Diana was pregnant with this child? Yeah, and I mean, wasn't it just like a three-month affair, really? Wasn't it like a July to September, or August or June to August? So, I mean, it really, that uh, goes a little bit uh, little bit far to, to jump to engagement and pregnancy. And Well, I want to say just exactly echoing the point you made in a previous podcast. This actor is great. This actor's portrayal is wonderful. It is when when you want to feel a character's anger and heartbreak through your screen, this guy is great. And that's really my only thought about it. I don't remember this because, once again, this just isn't something I focus on in my life. But I can certainly understand the way a show portrays a character who's been emotionally devastated, how that devastation sometimes gets filled with, you know, anything to fill it. And if it's a conspiracy theory or anything to fill that void that you can feel, I suppose I understand how it could happen to somebody. All right. Well, I can read it this time. Thank goodness. Finally. And I think we are kind of sidestepping a big part of this episode. And that's the romance of William and Kate. And in a bit of a way, I think one of the reasons why people don't jump and talk about it is a bit what I was saying on the previous podcast. This feels very real. This feels like kind of almost a natural courtship. And and the way things happen, whether you're, you know, Joe Nobody at college or you're the future heir of the throne. And so I thought it was very natural. It was very believable. And it, at the at the very least, it made me once again you know, kind of comprehend William in his thoughts, the character of William in his thoughts, where other times I wasn't sure exactly, you know, where this character was. When he goes and he has, you know, what's again, what you would say is a typical middle class, probably very upper middle class date at his girlfriend's parents' house, you know, that just feels very real. And so I thought it was fascinating. And I think if people do in real life connect with this couple a lot, I would wonder if it's because it all feels so natural. It feels, you know, you know, okay, we aren't, you know, nobody else is the future ruler of England, but their connection to me, it just felt kind of natural and real. And you understand why they like each other. Yeah, I agree. That scene, I got a kick out of that scene. That's like, he's got the TV tray on his lap and you know, the little TV in front of him and, Yes. You know, it reminds me of so many movies where, you know, the royalty, they, they you know, hide their identity and they, they try <laughs> to mingle with the commoners, you know? Yes, 100%. Yeah, but he pulled it off pretty good. Well, I just love, once again, as I said earlier in the podcast, where they basically said, or Peter Morgan basically said, this is a show about a family. What What's more real than a girl bringing her boyfriend home to meet the parents? That's like, uh, well, for our generation anyway, I don't know how it works now because everybody's younger than me and I don't know how any of that works. <laughs> Bill, you're a father. Maybe you'll know someday soon. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> the whole idea for me is, I, you know, that that's just such a normal thing. The royals are people too. I'm going to say that over and over and over again because I, I just loved how that was portrayed. 
And Will showed off. Let's let's face it. He showed off at that thing. He was talking about all these things. He was bringing up prime ministers uh, and how the queen, you know, we always judge by the length of their meetings and and all of that stuff. I love that. I thought it was humorous. I thought it was well thought out. I loved the way Elizabeth's speech moved him when she started talking about the duty and, and all of those other things that he was watching on TV, how that changed him and changed his position about where he thought he should be. He was so relieved when she told him she didn't want him to come. And now he is realizing the absolute need to be there. I thought that was wonderful. Matt, in any of the scenes in their house, because on a previous podcast, we had talked about how the character of Carol Middleton seemed a bit like a meddling mom. Oh, let me, you know, let me do whatever it takes to get my daughter Kate to meet and be around the future king. What, What did you think of seeing her and her husband, Michael Middleton, there in their house? And once again, what feels like probably an upper class, upper middle class, but still kind of like a middle class. Okay, this is how we do it at our house. How did you feel about Carol Middleton? Do you feel the show was still portraying her as the, you know, meddling mom? Oh, come on, Bubba. Do you think that she took the plates away from Rupert and insisted that she take them? No, no. Do you think that she bragged about Kate baking that cheesecake? No, this is absolutely her trying to get her claws into the prince with her daughter. <laughs> oh, yeah. They had, they had banners all over the house. So flags and... <laughs> uh, but I love your thoughts. Bill, uh, you got anything else on, on Kate and Will? No, that's it. I, I just found it funny, too, what they, you know, after the fashion show, how they were just like, oh, you like me, too? Well, I like you, too. You know? Yeah. Oh, well, we have liked each other for, for all this whole time. Right, right. Charles and Camilla. Mm. Charles you know, and now I I kind of like got a kick out of Charles, uh, you know, when he asked his, his mother and everything, and then he's waiting for her response. And he's in his office and he's all stodgy and talking to his advisors or whoever, and he's got the masculine voice on, and then he goes, oh, the queen's on the phone, gentlemen. And they get up and they you hear the door slam, and he goes, Mummy? It's like just he had the, the mummy voice. <laughs> you know, it was hilarious. So then she gave him the answer he wanted, which was, you know, very good. I think it worked out well. You know, I was a little like I said, it was a very I remember that time period and it was odd because it felt not right a little bit. You know, especially like I said, Camilla was I guess a lot of people felt she was always waiting in the wings and but I, I like that the Queen actually thought it out. And I think the Archbishop a Bishop of Canterbury actually looked pretty... We talk about characters looking like the uh, actors looking like their characters. Uh-huh. He pulled that off pretty good. I think nature pulled that off for him, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bill, let me ask you this. So once sure. again, there is, I guess, what I what we might call the public persona of of Charles and certainly the public persona of Camilla, but at least in this show portrayal, they, they do look like a, a couple that works. You know what I mean? That That's at least my opinion. What do you think of them as a couple? Like, do you see this as the way the show portrayed David's romance in the earlier seasons where he was just obsessed with this woman? And, and it was almost like, 
there wasn't an equalness because he was so obsessed or does this feel in your opinion like this is a this is a good partnership these two no they they look like a couple i mean they yeah. really do i mean they might have looked like it before diana and you know certainly after diana um and they do today to be honest they do today that is completely true yeah yeah i mean i loved how human it was in the finale uh and not about whether they were royalty or not yes there were so many hoops to jump through for the two of them but he, the proposal was awkward and weird and you know just all those kinds of things it just happened to normal people and i loved that i loved the fact that the phone conversation between elizabeth and charles you know you knew what the conversation was about but it wasn't until after he hung up the phone that it like he realized it's like oh my gosh i've been asking for this for 30 years <laughs> you know and or, or or i've been in love with this woman for 30 years and I, now i can finally ask her to marry me i thought that dominic west did a fabulous job in all of that just as weird and awkward as it was in the little garden in the little greenhouse there everything about that was just perfect and it made me root for them you know i and i don't know at the time that that proposal may have actually happened if i would have rooted for the two of them you know mm -hmm. so i i again bubba i think you pointed it out earlier the way that they have built camilla over the the seasons has made this seem like a wonderful payoff rather than a problem yeah maybe it couldn't have gone that route either as a you know <laughs> talk about fictionalizing a story you know maybe yeah. you couldn't have if she was a villain <laughs> right you know for four for four seasons it might have just True. been too much right and imagine if that was the end if you <laughs> a villain for four seasons and then the end is the villain's marrying the future king Yay! exactly yeah doesn't make sense <laughs> we've talked an awful lot about them as as a couple as the way the show has portrayed this I guess while Bill was talking, I forget exactly what he was saying, but it suddenly made me think about a question that, you know, once again, I really want to kind of take the real world out of this, but based on the way the show has portrayed this, and even in this final episode, the question, you know, Philip is even saying, you know, they're not ready. You're still ready. The character that you see at the end, would he make a good king? Yes or no. And to me, it kind of seems like he would this this once again this dominic west portrayal of prince charles it, it's like okay he still may not be ready because he's finally got camilla and his his focus has been so one-sided but the the show portrayal at this point does also make me think yeah he'd be a fine king he certainly learned enough lessons from waiting in the wing so long right i think the queen made that point in her speech at the wedding i think right did she say that yeah he's he's done everything he's had to do, you know, so he deserves this kind of. I found Elizabeth's uh, tribute to Camilla very touching during that toast as well. I mean, I thought that um, while it wasn't exuberant or, you know, or over the top or anything, it felt very heartfelt. And uh, I love that little shot of of seeing the two of them, Charles and Camilla together, 
as she was saying those lines. She said them and then you could see a shot of them. And I, I thought, wow, this show is really paying off and wrapping up nicely. Gentlemen, can I ask this question? Is this final scene here at the end of this episode, is this the only time that those two characters, meaning the Queen and Camilla, on the show have been in the same room? Because I was thinking that during the reception. To me, it was almost like, is this the first time the Queen has met Camilla? <laughs> because I can't remember other scenes of them being together on the show. Yeah. I don't think be there right. have been any scenes on the show. Yeah, I think you're right. But the way the Queen was acting, it's, I mean, Camilla might have been her first choice all along anyway. So. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Oh, I see. Okay. This is good because I wanted to go back to the Queen Mother for a minute because there's a lot of things to me that make the finale as good as it is, but also uh, episode nine as good as it is. And it stems back to episode eight. This through line of Elizabeth losing her own generation and the generation before her, losing her mother, that moment where she says, you can't leave me now, the Jubilee's coming, I'm in trouble here with popularity and all this stuff. And when she goes, when Elizabeth goes and looks out that window, I mean, I was, I was floored. I, I was so worried for her. And I know historically that that Jubilee was a great success, but uh, nonetheless, I really empathized with her fear of failure there and just the fear of, of losing your mother. And I thought that they really, as I said before, I feel like they could have played the queen mother up a little bit more because you think about what a, I want to say a doorstop Huh. almost a two-way doorstop that keeps the door from opening or closing that the Queen Mother has been throughout the course of this series. All of the things that she disapproved of, all of the things, you know, and this whole last season, naturally with that kind of age, um, there's going to be some lack of being aware of, of things or, or your hearing might go be a lot less than it used to be or what have you. But she was really just kind of played as a joke, you know, kind of kind of a secondary humor kind of thing most of this season. And so when it suddenly turned, so quickly turned to this very serious event for Elizabeth, well, naturally for her too, I, I was taken aback a little bit. It, it just, it felt like somebody had pulled the rug out from under me. Does anybody want to reflect on the queen mother or am I the only one here that's thinking this way? It didn't connect with me in that way, Matt. So uh, I can't speak to it, but after Bill speaks, maybe you could talk about how you felt that really did kind of pave the way for the emotion of episode 10. Okay. Yeah. I don't have much to add on that. I mean, she was, what was her age at that point? She had to be in her late nineties. No, at that point. Or... Yeah. She, I think she died at the age of 101. If I remember right. correctly. Right. So, so, I mean, what do you, I mean, as far as, you know, adding stuff to the party, I mean, at that point, you're, you kind of are just probably a sounding board kind of. Yeah, I suppose so. It's just that, you know, so many things she was so adamant about in the earlier seasons. I think I would have rather seen 
rather than just one scene of Elizabeth saying, I need you, mommy. You know, basically, I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more payoff to it because it doesn't feel like that she has needed mommy this entire season otherwise. Um, as far as the emotion towards Elizabeth goes, as I said, Bubba, she's lost Margaret. Margaret talked about this great sacrifice that she's made. Now she loses her mother in episode 9. And in episode 10, she's being forced to plan her own funeral. I mean, when you're facing your own mortality like that, it does make you reflect back on your life. It makes you think about, you know, what have I missed? What could I be doing? And that's why I thought the abdication question was such a great way to finish this series because of course duty prevailed but i loved the human element that they have always portrayed about elizabeth having to make sacrifices starting with season one telling philip you know we can't live here sorry hey my kids are going to be named windsor tough luck buddy you know these are things that had to be made as opposed to as we saw in episode nine the wonderful, beautiful life that she had in Monaco with Philip, how happy she was. And all of these questions, I feel, build up to that question of abdication so well. Um, I thought that the last three episodes were all weaved together and you could make it into one large, very long movie. And it had a thematic element running through it the whole way. So that's why I, I feel like this is just another part of that equation is Elizabeth's mother dying. Did you feel that Philip's reaction to planning his own funeral was odd because he was like the the opposite. He was the yin to the queen's yang as far as he was kind of thrilled and tickled by it. He wasn't even seemingly reflective too much. Maybe his choice of his the carriage of his coffin was a bit reflective, but we didn't see any of that. He was kind of tackling it with gusto. He was tackling it with gusto, but what I loved, what to me was subtly happening uh, in the course of the, the last episode especially, was that he always wanted to know how she felt about it. Not, not to have some kind of spirited discussion about it, but I think that what it implied to me was that Philip was internalizing a lot of those things that we see Elizabeth also internalizing, but we see her side of it. We never get to see Philip's side of it. And I think he was looking to empathize and sympathize with what she's going through in planning that. Right. He did ask her a couple of times, I think, for the yeah. last two episodes, you know, is there anything you want to talk about? You know? Yeah. And, and, and it's cool because it's double layered in that way. He could be asking about the abdication thing, or he mm -hmm. could just be asking about how she's feeling about planning her own funeral. Cause he said, he says to her at the very beginning, he says, man, this has brought up some things that I've never thought about before in so many words. That's basically what he's saying to her. He's like, you got to do this. This is really <laughs> wild, man. You know, and he's given himself his own mortality therapy and evidently getting something from it. And he wants her to get something from it too. Uh, but it does, it does because the episode is so cleverly put together uh, at times he could be asking about, is she thinking about abdicating? And at times is he, he could be asking about, well, how do you feel about dying? 
So I loved that. I thought that was brilliantly written by Peter Morgan. And, of course, Jonathan Price is priceless. Right. And that's such a thing to do, too, is to watch the old home movies when you're in a reflection like that. Bubba, did I answer your question, or do you just say hogwash and move on? Yeah, I think you kind of you talked about the things you wanted to, and you completely avoided my question. So you're really in political <laughs> political season for the upcoming caucuses. Good work, Matt. One of these things was a, a question I've had for a while. So what is the question? And that is, what has been the true focus of The Crown? This show, we've enjoyed six great seasons and I was listening to another podcast, Heresy, I know, but this podcast called the TV Pilot Podcast, it's made out of England, so I thought maybe they would have insight that I wouldn't. Once again, I'm not, a, not an English person. I haven't, haven't really been following the royal family. But one thing was this host, Boyd Hilton, on the TV Pilot Podcast, he said, you know, the show isn't titled The Queen. It's titled The Crown because it's about the monarchy. And to me... This show really hasn't been about the monarchy. I keep talking about how, you know, Prince Harry is a side character. Prince Andrew is, you know, barely in the show. And then the other prince, you know, should be the prince not appearing in this series. So it's not about the monarchy. It, to me, it has always been about Elizabeth. And this final episode just reinforces it. And so, yes, we do spend time with Diana. We do spend time with Charles. We do spend time with prime ministers. And we do spend time now with William. But to me, it's always because of their relationship to her. So to me, the show has always been about Elizabeth, not really about the monarchy in so many ways. Now, Matt, you're saying this show has really been about, according to Peter Morgan, about family. So I thought, you know, that's my take. I think it's been about Elizabeth. I want to hear you guys and listeners. I want you to get in if you want to as well tweet at us go to instagram leave us some comments on youtube we love comments what do you think after watching now six seasons of this quality television show what really was the show about i'm voting elizabeth matt what do you say well i'm voting family and you've already heard my reasons why but i think that uh bill hasn't spoken to this subject so yeah no i think it's it's elizabeth i mean i totally agree with you from the first episode on it was about the, the session to to elizabeth and she's been the central focus throughout all six seasons. So, yeah, it's fa it's family, but it's family, you know, around Elizabeth. It is Elizabeth's family. That is right. for sure. But from yeah. both sides, her relationship with her father so well and economically done in the first two episodes of the season. And then with little sporadic things uh, of the, I mean, of the, the first season and with little sporadic things uh, in the next couple of seasons. And then, you know, catching it from both generation, the generation before and the generation after. Um, and it is about the way that she deals with all of that stuff. But these side treks to me, there's a whole episode de dedicated to the dynamic between William and Charles. It's episode five of this season. Uh, it's about the, f the real family problems that a royal family has, to me. Matt, I would say, if it's about a family, which, you know, once again, you can make that argument. You'd be wrong, but you can make it. If, if it's about a family, how do you think, if you're Prince Edward, you feel? You haven't been in the show at all. 
you know, I'm saying Prince Andrew is a extra. This is one of this. He's a prince, for goodness sake. He is younger brother to Charles. And he if that actor appeared in any of these final episodes, I kind of wouldn't recognize him because he wasn't in it. Yeah, uh, he was in an episode where he was asking. He was in his last episode riding a horse with the queen. Andrew was. Uh, Edward was. Yeah, Andrew at, was. Where was Edward? Well, Edward was at one of the tables somewhere in this series, somewhere. <laughs> I remember seeing him one time uh, and got a lot of focus. A, a lot. Define a lot. Did uh, she Did she have actually any lines in the final episode? Well, no, but she did have some meaningful looks, right? Yes, uh, so. she had meaningful looks, exactly. <laughs> okay. I give it, well, I'm outvoted anyway, so I'm I'm flogging a dead horse. Well, okay, no, no, no. I once again, I, I think everybody's opinion is valid. That's why I threw it out to listeners, is that I've been watching this show, and yes, there are these episodes. Once again, there are episodes where Diana is the main character, but to me, it was really once again all about this person. We we started right before she was crowned. And we end with her seeing the end of her monarchy. So, you know, that that's was my focus. And I always find it interesting when I hear other people's takes. So, Matt, I'm looking at this on the wheel right here. And we're talking about our favorite moment across six seasons. This is the wrap up. So we do have to say our favorite episode, favorite moment, favorite actor, just any favorite thing that stuck out over these six years. Oh my gosh! And Come I'll on. go first since it since it is such a big thing. The one thing I heard, you know, we all have different history, and one of the things I heard about when you put on a show, the strongest material in the show, you're like, well, when does the strongest material in the show have to happen? Does it have to have to happen at the very end so that the audience and people watching? enjoy it the most and they you know sing the praises when they think about it does it have to happen maybe right before intermission because you got to have something real strong there to get the audience back and get to going and what i was always told is that your strongest material the strongest thing always has to be the opening you always have to get people on your side and that has to be the strongest part of a of a production of a video of a film of a play your best thing has to be the beginning so you get people to go with you and so for me, as I've said almost every podcast multiple times, I wasn't a historic uh, a history did I wasn't a historical royal family watcher. I didn't know many of these facts. And so for me, the fact that the show hooked me very early on, and specifically those great performances of Claire Foy and Vanessa Kirby as Elizabeth and Margaret, to me, they hooked me. And then to the show's credit, even when they switched out actors, I have been able to enjoy it. I'm still engaged. But my favorite thing is is how they hooked me in the beginning and got me to invest in this family, which my whole life I really hadn't thought much about. So for me, six seasons, that's a top. Yep. I agree with you. That episode really, they, the hook, they call it the hook, right? Got yeah. you in. So I'll go next. I think one of my most memorable was... Um, when the queen had that visitor come up into her bedroom at night. Oh, yes, that was a hundred percent good call. Just the fact that it, it really happened. That's just like, that's crazy that that really happened. So, yeah, and the way she handled it, and yeah, it was something I was completely unaware of until uh, I saw that episode and then I started looking at it. I was completely unaware that that had mm -hmm. happened in the 80s. Um, yeah. 
But I'm but I'm gonna go with you guys. I can actually do a scene and then an episode, and they're not the same. Um, but like okay. you guys at the beginning, the scene that got me completely hooked was the Wolverton splash scene at the end. And Elizabeth opening that box, she is the job. Um, as you guys were saying that this show is about the queen. I mean, he basically made that statement at the very beginning, did he not? The emotion of that with George knowing that things were not going to go well for him, um, that his health was not as good, the way that he sang um, for the Christmas thing, everything about that, especially him reminding Philip what his duty truly was, which I think throughout the entire course of the series, no matter which incarnation you see of Philip, that totally rings through. It's from that moment on, despite one little deviance where he was kind of being rebellious in season two, I think that Philip, you see the Philip that took King George's words to heart and run, that runs all the way through the entire series with everything else that he does. Um, not always in the best way, but he's always trying to do that. And that through line by itself, right down to this finale episode where he keeps asking her how she feels about this, you know, and his, his smug way of saying, I'll leave you to it because he knows that she's got stuff internalized. Everything about all of that just really starts at that scene. But the other scene, and there's some something that William says in when he's commenting on the Jubilee about the mystique and everything. This, the episode that gets me is the fifth episode when she is anointed and Philip does bow. She is the job. But also just the mystique, the mystery of it, the tint, the, her remembering her father practicing wearing the crown, her practicing wearing the crown with her kids. I know that I'm, I'm focusing on season one here, but by the fifth episode of the season, I was like, I got to do a podcast about this. <laughs> it took me two years, but I finally did it. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Listeners, you're, you're not off the hook. If you've joined us on this crazy journey, we want to hear your favorite moment from the sixth season run of The Crown on Netflix. Instagram, Twitter, threads, YouTube comments, Facebook comments, emails. Let's hear from you. You've been so kind to listen to our podcast all this time. Now we want to be kind and listen to your thoughts as well. Here are your history notes for the penultimate and finale of The Crown. Operation Paget was actually launched in January of 2004 after French authorities concluded their own investigation and led by Metropolitan Police Commissioner Sir John Stevens. The report, which includes the findings illustrated in the show, was made available to the public on December 14th of 2006. Source, People Magazine. I could find no evidence that the Queen ever asked William to avoid the Jubilee, that he spent most of the ceremony commenting on the Jubilee with Kate Middleton's family, or that he rushed back to participate in the balcony appearance. 
it is well documented that he did appear on the balcony on that date in 2002. The Queen Mother died on March 30th of 2002 at 3.15 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Something that is not depicted in the show was the Queen had an address to the UK praising her mother the night before the funeral, which other than her Christmas messages was a rare television appearance. Other television appearances included the one depicted in the show on the eve of the funeral of Princess Diana during her jubilee, during the Gulf War in 1991, and most recently in April of 2020, paying tribute to healthcare workers during the COVID pandemic. Speaking of the Golden Jubilee, the Golden Jubilee occurred during 2002 and consisted of much more than just the two ceremonies seen in Episode 9. Queen Elizabeth II, accompanied by Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, traveled 40,000 miles during the course of the year, visiting countries of the Commonwealth and all parts of the UK as part of the celebration. As in previous celebrations, there was a service at St. Paul's Cathedral, as well as street parties, dinners, a special garden party for all of those who had been born on Ascension Day, the 6th of February, 1952, and a prom party at the palace. She traveled to the National Service of Thanksgiving on the 4th of June in the Gold State Coach, and the service was followed by the lunch at London's Guildhall, both of which are depicted in the show. Source, the Royal Collection Trust. Did the Queen plan her own funeral? In truth, Queen Elizabeth II was consulted on all of the arrangements for her funeral, which was nicknamed Operation London Bridge, including the choice of music. Her personal piper did close the funeral service with the traditional lament, Sleep, Deary Sleep. And just as is portrayed on the show, Prince Philip did in fact plan his own funeral as well, modifying a Land Rover to carry his coffin instead of a traditional hearst. Source, Variety Magazine. Charles and Camilla did get married on April 9th of 2005, 35 years after they first met. There was a service of prayer and dedication blessing for their marriage following a civil ceremony. Source, Town and Country Magazine. Kate did participate in a fashion show. A student charity fashion show called The Art of Seduction took place at the St. Andrew's Bay Hotel on the 26th of March in 2002. Both Kate and William were actually still dating other people at the time and only saw each other as friends. Any flirtation between the two would not have been cut short by the news of the Queen Mother's death, Operation Taybridge, as she passed away four days later on March 30th of 2002. Source, Vogue, India. William and Kate did choose to live with two other housemates in the second year of university, as is depicted in the show at Hope Street, but ultimately made a home together for their third and fourth years to a private home situated off campus that belonged to one of William's distant cousins. Sources, The Express, and Town and Country. And finally, did Harry wear a Nazi costume? Yes, in 2005, Prince Harry was photographed wearing a Nazi uniform as a costume at a Colonials and Natives theme party. In his 2023 memoir, Spare, Prince Harry claims that he was egged on by Will and Kate to wear the outfit. Source, USA Today. 
And those are your history notes. You'll find all of the links in the show notes. I do want to point out some things about music. We'll just go through some of this stuff right now. Uh, this is just the music that isn't composed by Martin Phipps, who did an excellent job this season. I mean, my gosh, I'll leave you to it is the cut that is the final, uh, the final scene, Elizabeth's walk off. And that is just a masterpiece. I hope that he gets, uh, an Emmy or I don't think he can get a Grammy nod for it this year. Maybe next year he still can. Uh, but just an absolute fantastic job with that particular score, blending the, the bagpipes in with the theme that was used for Diana's death, believe it or not. That was absolutely amazing. And instead of just staying on the final five chord, as it did with Diana's death, with questions of not thing a life unresolved, this one actually resolves back to the one chord. Beautifully done. Beautifully done by Mr. Phipps. But there was a lot of other music in the show, too. So in episode nine, Maloko, The Time Is Now, that was during the fashion show. Uh, Moby doing In This World, that was after the fashion show. And the great hymn at the funeral was Guide Me, O Thou Great Redeemer. Not sure who performed that. It probably wasn't the, the, the people in the studio, but I don't know who the performers were for that. For episode 10, as Elizabeth's getting ready... You have uh, Haydn's Symphony Number no. 100 in G major. You also have uh, Take Me Out uh, by Franz Ferdinand, as William is asked by the boys if he's going to attend Harry Mead's birthday celebration. I like the way Body Rockers, and that's when the boys decide on their costumes. Harry makes a terrible decision. And I want to break free. As Bill mentioned earlier, uh, that's a Queen tune that they performed by the uh, the gentleman who was playing that role. Wonderfully done. Uh, Fat Planet, Left Field. Uh, and that's when Harry is actually recognized at the party and the picture is taken. Uh, Praise My Soul, The King of Heaven is the song sung by the choir during uh, all of the wedding stuff between Charles and Camilla. We have just a little bit of feedback. Guess what? It's from our contest winner. Thank goodness. I don't want to hear from anybody else. Only her. <laughs> All Mod Cons, uh, ZephyrCat7 says, another great podcast. This is regarding our uh, episode 7 and 8 review. Another great podcast from you guys. It has all laughs, games, serious discussion, and a thorough recap. Mm. I give this one 10 out of 10 Quintuple M's. Quintuple M's? Yeah, Maestro Matt's Marvelous Musical Analysis. Oh, wow. Keep watching those videos. Thank you so much for stopping by. And once again, get in contact with me. Matt's Audioblog at gmail.com. Don't be somebody who's impersonating ZephyrCat7. I only want the real ZephyrCat7. Here, here. Send me an email. Matt's Audioblog at gmail.com so that I can get you your $100 gift card. I 
didn't keep track of any polls. I don't even think I put any up last week because the podcast is coming to an end. Uh, we will still be around for you to, we want to hear your great feedback. Maybe at some point I'll do a top five Martin Phipps musical moments from the whole series. Um, I need a break first to think about that. Uh, but I'll, if you put any feedback in between now and then, uh, I will include it in that podcast. Once again, at Lilibet pod on the site, formerly known as Twitter or the word double, the letters PHQ on that same site and across all social medias, Instagram threads, all that jazz. So, uh, final thoughts regarding this series overall. I know we've kind of talked about how much this series has grabbed us over the course of all six seasons, but Baba, I want to know any final thoughts that you have. Well, I do want to give the note one last time of how the Royals are just like us, just like the Royals. I want bagpipes played at my funeral because if I'm not going to be here, I want the rest of the world annoyed. (laughs) But on a serious note, a great time, Matt. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this podcast. Great show. Time well spent. I concur. I'm glad I found you guys as usual. You've, Made it a pleasurable experience. So thanks, guys. Bill, thanks so much for being on this last podcast with us. We really appreciate your time. We know that time is valuable for everyone these days. So thanks for making it for us and for listening to the podcast and contributing feedback before. To everyone who has listened to this podcast, who has responded to polls, who has left comments on the YouTube, youtube.com slash at the word double letter P the word media who has sent posts on the site, formerly known as Twitter, just to tell me to shut up or to stop retweeting that. Love. Well, that was me, Matt. Are you thanking me? Yes, I am thanking you too. Oh, thank God. And uh, I appreciate all feedback. I especially enjoy the bad feedback because it make keeps me humble makes me a little less narcissistic than I was uh, in order to insist that I do 700 podcasts and not finish any of them. I'm very proud to have finished this one. It was a series worth beginning and a series worth finishing. And to all of you who have helped us do that, to Holly, to Susan, who have also been with us, we're thinking of you. We wish you were here with us for these podcasts as well. Thank you so much, everybody. And that's going to do it for now for a podcast a little bit. Something I'm visited possibly calm.